There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, a frog has just appeared in my throat. Nice. Just as soon as I started the intro. Isn't that funny how that happens? It's kind of an interesting visual I have in my mind right now of <laughs> a frog in your throat. Anyways, I'm going to work through this, Greg. All I'm, right. I'm not going to let this slow us down. boy. Because today we are picking up our electric vehicle mini series. Yes. Which has been our summer project. Right on. And you've really taken the lead in this project. So today is going to be more about you talking and me listening. Well, you're fighting a cold here, so I'm going to give you a break, you know, yep. rest your vocal cords and jump in as necessary. Well, it's funny you say that because everybody in my house is sick, including my wife. And I went for a walk with her last night and she couldn't talk because her throat was too sore. It was a very peaceful 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all you need now is for the dogs to get a cold and they can't bark either. Yeah. Anyways, so today we're going to talk about, as I say, this electric vehicles mini series. We're going to talk about government incentives and the cost of ownership. And I know we're going to reference an article from somewhere, something car and driver. Car and driver, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Should we just get into it? We should, although I must say before we start, I'm drinking a coffee from our our new coffee maker in the office, and it's a darn fine cup of joe it makes. It's almost like you are, I don't know, promoting people drink coffee. Well, that's a very personal decision, of course. And, yeah. you know, I personally enjoy coffee, but not everybody <laughs> does. <laughs> Isn't it coffee one of those things? I remember as, as a younger person, I had this crappy job in Edmonton, one of my crappy jobs. Yes, you've and, had many. Yeah, I had many as a young person. And the guys I worked with, it was a very blue collar job. And the guys I worked with all just hovered around the coffee maker. Like it was something oh. special. Right. Right. Yeah. Right on. And I remember having a cup of this, a cup of Joe, as you say. Yes. And you know what? It sucked. It was terrible. <laughs> it just tasted like the South end of a northbound horse, you know? And I thought, why do people do this? And here I am 50 now, 50 by the way. 50, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I'm two or three cups a day. You know, for the most part, the worst coffee I ever had was just shy of fantastic. I mean, I just <laughs> I just like coffee. <laughs> I'll drink instant. I'll drink it anyway. Yeah, good. Anyway, what's that got to do with electric vehicles? I have no idea. Take Nothing. us away. Okay. So anyway, the first thing we'll talk about today are government incentives. There's a couple of levels of incentives, maybe three levels actually, because the federal government offers two different levels of incentives. So for battery electric, as you recall last time we talked about battery electric as just being fully electric vehicles, hydrogen fuel cell, which we won't talk about much, but it's a different type of non-internal combustion engine, and longer range plug-in hybrid vehicles, those are eligible for up to $5,000 a rebate by the federal government. And when we talk about longer range plug-in hybrid vehicles, we're talking about vehicles having electric range equal to or greater than 50 kilometers. So as you recall, last time we talked about plug-in hybrids, which can give you, 
you know, a reasonable amount of mileage, mainly for in-city commuting without having to rely on the gasoline engine at all. So those longer range ones are eligible for up to $5,000. And shorter range plug-in hybrid electrics or hybrids are eligible for about $2,500. So again, shorter range plug-in vehicles with electric range under 50 kilometers. Yeah, I'm going to throw something at you in regards to that. Throw um, away, yeah. You know, I look at this, what you just described, is kind of like how a stock is priced. Mm-hmm. So if you have a stock that pays a dividend... Yeah. And you know what the dividend is, and the market knows what the dividend is. Doesn't the intrinsic value or the intrinsic price include the dividend that is to be paid out? It should. So wouldn't this be the same for electric vehicles? Like if you know, now I know this is off script, but if you know that there's a $5,000 rebate, won't the price sort of be adjusted intrinsically? Well, I guess that's one of the things that the government would hope not right? Because they're trying to provide these incentives for people to generally spend more on an electric vehicle than they would for on a similar, you know, internal combustion engine or a gas vehicle. But the government knows that there's a free market out there. There is a free market. And so that incentive definitely may play into it. And it may also play into something we'll talk about next podcast, which is, you know, the whole leasing versus buying scenario. So good point. I know I took you off script, but no, I'm just, right. just curious. That's all right. It's all right. I can move with it here. I can go with the flow. So we talked about the federal government incentives. Some provinces also offer separate incentives. So for instance, British Columbia. So if you live in BC and you have a valid BC driver's license and you meet the income requirements when you apply for the rebate, you can earn a rebate in addition to the federal government rebate. So if you're a lower income person and you're purchasing a Tesla, you can apply for the rebate? Yeah. So let's talk about... (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) Not necessarily. And I'll tell you why. All right. And that's because there are some maximums on the type of vehicle that you can get the rebate on. So for anybody who lives in BC or just for interest sake, if you have an income of under $80,000 a year, the rebate for a battery electric or a longer range plug-in hybrid would be $4,000. But that's a one-time thing. One-time thing, right? And again, and then as your income goes up, so eighty dollars to $90,000, the rebate would be $2,000. And if you earn $100,000 or more, there's no rebate. So it's definitely income tested. And there's also a a maximum price, okay? So for a two-seater compact, midsize, and large cars, the maximum MSRP or suggested retail price is $55,000. And for larger vehicles like minivans, station wagons, SUVs, station wagons. When was the last time you you saw a new station wagon? You just don't see them. They don't exist. Station wagon. It sounds like something out of the 50s. Station wagon. No, it reminds me of like National Lampoon's Vacation. Exactly. You know, you think of these woodies, you know, and... (laughs) Anyway, maximum $70,000. Okay, so so they don't apply to, you know, a Tesla Model S where you're paying 150, 160,000 whatever that might be or some of these new ones. But if you live in BC and qualify based on income, you could actually get, you know, 5,000 from the federal government and another $4,000 from the provincial government, so that's not a bad not a bad rebate. Okay, and there's certain restrictions or logistics around how to get that rebate, but the bottom line is it is available. There are other provinces that offer incentives, in addition to BC, Quebec, Newfoundland and Labrador, and New Brunswick, to name a few. Okay, so interestingly, or not interestingly, if you live in Alberta, as we do, there is no specific Alberta rebate for electric vehicles. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Gee, I'm not sure. Possibly because, you know, in Alberta... 
maybe oil and gas is a significant part of our economy and maybe maybe trying to manage a wholesale you know switch over from gasoline to electric might not be in the province's top priority right now yeah so Anyway, and these are just our opinions. That's right. Absolutely. And and that's not to say whether or not we believe electric vehicles are the way to go. As I mentioned last time, I'm quite interested in this plug-in hybrid option because it seems to cover off, you know, the issues over the long range needed for long road trips, as well as being able to drive, you know, or do your commute in the city without using gasoline. Anyway, so that's the whole rebate side of it. And in the States, they offer their various incentives as well under the Inflation Reduction Act that offers U.S. electric vehicle purchasers some incentives as well. So I want to basically spend the rest of this discussion talking about the costs of ownership. And for that, I'm going to rely more than heavily, I'm going to rely entirely on an article in Car and Driver that appeared about six months ago or so or seven months ago. I believe when I was in university, this was called plagiarism, but carry on. Exactly. Well, we're not plagiarism. I'm, I'm reporting on an article in Car and Driver. I'm just joking. So what they tried to do in this particular article is try to get a handle on exactly how do the costs of ownership compare between an electric vehicle and a gasoline vehicle. And one of the reasons why it's so important to sort of look at that total cost of ownership is because, as everybody knows, when you look at electric vehicle pricing, they tend to be higher than regular gasoline vehicle pricing for similar models. And one of the things that's difficult to do is compare one vehicle to another because, for example, when you talk about Teslas, there is no gasoline you know, version of a Tesla. No, but you could talk about like a Toyota Highlander versus a Toyota Highlander hybrid. Exactly. And that's exactly what they do here. So, you know, just a heads up that the numbers that we're throwing around are U.S. numbers. And so, so the vehicle purchase price, the maintenance costs, et cetera, these are all in U.S. dollars. But we can assume that accounting for the typical premium that's paid in Canada because of the currency conversion and other things, the conclusions would be similar in Canada. Okay, so what they did is exactly what you suggested earlier, and that is tried to compare vehicles that offer both powertrains, uh, you know, gas and or internal combustion engine and the electric powertrain. And so they used the Hyundai Kona and the Kona Electric as the small vehicle comparisons. And they compared the Ford F-150 and the F-150 Lightning. Okay, and they basically compared everything they could about the running costs, you know, that they could get from credible sources. I got a question for you about that. When you look at the Ford F-150 and the F-150 Lightning, there's way cooler lighting on the Lightning, just like there's way cooler lighting on the, the Kona Electric versus the regular Kona. Why is that? Is it to make it more appealing in some way? I have no idea. But you know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. And, you know, and it's something that could be done on gas vehicles, but you don't see it a lot. Yeah. Like the coolest lighting I've seen, as an aside, was in my wife's old Mini Cooper Countryman. It had great lighting options. You could change the colors of the lighting inside. It had great sounds. You know, the various bells that rang were, you know, sounded more like a slot machine than they did, you know, a vehicle. So, yeah, yeah there's, I think maybe it might just be a function of something that new and modern and, and looks newer and modern. So anyway, car and driver looked at those two vehicles, the Hyundai Kona and Kona Electric, Ford F-150 and F-150 Lightning, guess that's four vehicles. And they looked at the first three years of overall ownership cost. And for purposes of this comparison, they did not include financing costs or insurance premiums, because as I understand it, insurance premiums 
on electric vehicles are currently higher than they would on a similar gas vehicle. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So that is not included in this particular one. So let's start with purchase price. So the initial purchase price, as we talked about, typically is higher for electric vehicles. And in the States, a Hyundai Kona base model, $22,595. Wouldn't it be nice to find a little Hyundai Kona for $22,595? Anyway, Kona Electric, $35,295. So there's an extra $13,000 of cost there. And in the U.S., the Ford 150, F-150 is 40960 and the F-150 Lightning, 54769 I think if you want to have the Canadian comparison, just put yep. a one in front of each of those numbers. <laughs> well, not quite that bad, but I actually just looked up what an F-150 Lightning is in Canada. So 54700 in the U.S., about 69700 in Canada. Oh, that's got to be like a base model and that's with ba- nothing. That's base model. So I didn't add anything to that, but there you go. So let's just summarize there. For each, that it was thirteen dollars to $14,000 higher to have the electric version versus the gas consumption version. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. As far as miles driven, what they did is they just assumed of about 15,000 miles per year, which is an average mileage statistic for the U.S. drivers. And that would be about, what's that, 21, 22,000 kilometers? Well, that's 15,000 times 1.6. Yeah. That, yeah. Whatever that number is, that's exactly. how much it is. Yeah. Yeah, 24,000. And that's probably pretty similar in Canada. I mean, I think 20,000 kilometers, you know, to 25 would be fairly fairly typical. Yeah, unless you're talking to your insurance company, then you're always under 5,000 per year. That's right. Right. So for purposes of their analysis, 45,000 miles driven over the three-year term. Okay, and so then they calculated some maintenance costs. And the service items would be things like tires, brakes, oil changes, repairs, etc., and they looked at AAA, or the, what's that, American Automobile Association, the equivalent of the Canadian Motor Association here, or CAA, Canadian Automobile Association. But the data gave a relatively good basis for comparison. And overall, they found that electric vehicles are cheaper to maintain. And you might expect that because they basically have fewer moving parts, less fluids that need to be replaced, Brakes don't need to be replaced as often because they have this regenerative braking, et cetera. And so the overall costs over three years for the Hyundai Kona gasoline was $4,428 and the Kona electric was $3,573, almost $1,000 less. In the case of the Ford F-150, $4,200 over the three years and in the F-150 Lightning, $3,500, so about $600 less. So as we started here, but each of those models was thirteen dollars to $14,000 higher for the purchase price. So if this was your only comparison and you were buying that Hyundai Kona, you would have to own the electric version for 13 more years that's to right. break even. Now, again, that's only talking about purchase and maintenance costs. Now let's talk about energy usage yeah. because obviously the electric vehicles are not using gasoline which for the time being is more costly than an equivalent amount of energy. So when they calculate energy usage, they find that the Hyundai Kona, and so of course we're talking about different things here, so bear with me. A Hyundai Kona uses 3.1 gallons of gasoline per 100 miles, and the Kona Electric uses 27 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. The Ford F-150, 5 gallons per 100 miles and the F-150 Lightning, 48 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. Okay, so obviously you need to convert 
all of those into dollars. And in the case of gasoline, they used the national average price of gas in the U.S. at 370 per gallon. Wouldn't that be nice to buy gas at 370 a gallon? Because I don't of know. Course, what's, the, what's the conversion? Well, there's four liters in a U.S. gallon, and so if you divide that by four, that's like 92, 93 cents a liter. Yeah. Again, just add a one in front well, to get the Canadian conversion. Well, that's right. You know, so even with the exchange, then you know, call it a dollar, becomes a dollar thirty a liter in Canada, which I guess you can certainly get from time to time. Okay, so that's the price of gas, and then they then they used a certain value for cost per kilowatt hour, 43 cents a kilowatt hour they used, and that kind of thing. So gasoline costs, first of all, though, we'll talk about just the gasoline vehicles. The Hyundai Kona cost $5,162 for the three years, and the Ford F-150, $8,325 in gasoline. Now, looking at the electric vehicles, they used the average price of $0.43 cents for the largest charging networks. Those are the highest available charging networks. At home charging, $0.15.4 cents per kilowatt hour. So again, it's not really important to get caught up in the details of, well, what do we pay in Canada right now? The bottom line is these are market prices, and it's also a little bit dependent on whether you do more charging at home or more charging at the fast charging stations. But the bottom line is the three-year cost of charging the Hyundai Kona Electric was $2,548. That compares to the 5162 for the gas version in, in fuel costs. The Ford F-150 Lightning, $4,529 in electricity compared to $8,325 in gasoline for the internal combustion engine. I think there's one input missing there, though, and that is, okay, that assumes that you have a charging station that you can access. So if you don't have a charging station at home, you're going to have to, I don't know how much that costs, but it's not free. Absolutely. So you got to add that in. Yep. Yep. Right on. So we've talked about the initial purchase price. We've talked about maintenance costs. We've talked about fuel costs. Another fairly important issue with regards to the you know owning a vehicle is depreciation. And that's kind of a tricky subject because you know you have to look at when you drive your car off the lot, they say, well, you lose, what, 10% to 30% of the value the second you drive the car off the lot. I'm not sure that that's true these days because used cars have certainly become more in demand than they were previously. I think you gain 10 to 30% yeah. by driving off the lot. Yeah, exactly. But Car and Driver believes that the electric vehicles actually depreciate faster than gasoline vehicles. Now, why, why would that be? Well, one thing is just the higher initial purchase price. Yeah, okay, that you makes know, sense. So just in terms of dollars, even if they depreciate at a slower rate, the actual dollars worth of depreciation would be higher because of the higher purchase price. Now, the other thing might be right now that because the technology is changing so rapidly with electric vehicles, if you buy an electric vehicle today, you may be missing out on many of the technological improvements and upgrades that you see over the next couple of years. So certainly being an early adopter in this might cause you to not have the available technology that could be there next year. Okay, so using the AAA's depreciation metrics, the Hyundai Kona gasoline version would depreciate over the three-year period $9,795, whereas the Kona Electric could depreciate $15,300. And the F-150 gasoline 13,900 compared to the lightning at 15,738. So in fact, the Kona actually depreciated more than the F-150 in this particular case. 
Well, that's because of supply and demand in that, would you really want to drive a Hyundai Kona, Greg? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? They're actually pretty awesome little vehicles. Oh yeah, I'm sure they're great. Yeah. My size might be a little too big for the Hyundai Kona. Yeah. But anywho. Nothing against Hyundai Konas or those that own them, by the way. Absolutely. Uh, I just would prefer not to. Well, yeah, you drive a... What is it, a Jeep Grand Wagoneer? <laughs> Not the Grand Wagoneer, just the Wagoneer. Oh, just the Wagoneer. Yeah, I think I can stuff about two or three Hyundai Konas yes. in my Wagoneer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you'll be on the high end of the fuel consumption there. Anyway, so now we look at all added up. We've got all of the elements other than insurance and financing costs that would go into three-year ownership. And so the question is, are electric vehicles cheaper? And in fact, what they found was that it really depended because in the case of the Hyundai Kona, the overall Hyundai Kona cost was 19385 compared to the Kona Electric at 21426 So in that case, the Hyundai Kona Electric was actually more expensive than the gas version. Whereas in the case of the Ford F-150, 26505 were the costs of the F-150 gasoline and the F-150 Lightning, 23840 Okay. And so that is really the answer. The F-150 in this particular analysis, the electric F-150 is cheaper to own and operate over the first three years than its gas counterpart and not taking into account any tax credits. I feel like this is a bit of data mining though, because I know that those batteries need to be replaced so often on an electric vehicle. And I know it's not free either, right? And I don't know how long does a battery last? Does it last three years? Does it last longer? Well, from everything I've read, not only do they last longer than that, but many vehicles, many electric vehicles, and I've looked into this myself, offer battery warranties specifically that would, you know, the warranties would cover 100,000 miles, or in Canada, that would be 160,000 kilometers, which is typically longer than many people own their vehicles. Eight years. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, yes, replacing a battery would be hugely expensive in an electric vehicle, would not be something that you would expect to have to deal with in the first five, six, seven years of ownership. What about the resale value of that? So if you've got that Ford F-150 Lightning and you're eight years in and the battery is probably going to need to be replaced, it's got to And that could be a a $10,000 to $15,000 cost to replace that battery. And absolutely that will. And that's one of the things that I think in the long run is going to be worked out And it just means that for the early adopters, you have to be extremely mindful of that. And certainly, you know, typically when you buy a vehicle used, if there's a warranty in place, it usually will apply to the next owner. But, you know, as electric vehicles start approaching that 100,000 mile or 160,000 kilometer number, that would be a very significant impact on the price of a used vehicle. You know what Tesla reminds me of right now, Greg? What's that? Betamax. (laughs) Because, you know, back in the day, your choice was Betamax or VHS. That's right. Right? Yeah. And was it Sony that owned Betamax? It was, wasn't it? I think it was. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And they made it so that the size of their cassettes was specifically for their machines, to which they trademarked the machines, right? Or I don't know if that's the correct terminology. But anyways, whereas the rest of the market used VHS, which were larger tapes, but you, it didn't matter if you used Sanyo or Panasonic or Toshiba or any other manufacturer. They all had this basically the same technology, right? Exactly. 
So isn't that kind of like the charging stations right now, where the Tesla charging stations are specifically for Teslas? Well, is that changing? Interesting question. It is changing. And a lot of the new electric vehicle manufacturers are adopting the Tesla charging standard, in which case there will be ultimately a universal charging standard. And I'm not sure which one that'll be. But Tesla is certainly, I don't remember what specifically which ones, but some of the, the newer vehicles are adopting that. I guess it's the same as just a few years ago, Blu-ray DVD versus DVD. It's the same, you know. Now, the funny thing is that, of course, nobody, my kids don't even know what a DVD is anymore. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, things are going to change a lot. And I think there will either become a universal standard or at least something that's adaptable between the the different charging, you know, standards to be able to just use them interchangeably. So I just want to finish off with this last point. So in in their analysis, they found that the Hyundai Kona Electric was about, call it $2,000 more expensive over uh, a three-year period of ownership. And the Ford F-150 was about a little under $3,000 less expensive. That's exclusive or excluding any rebates. So if you were actually able to get the $5,000 rebate, from the Canadian government, and if all other numbers remain the same, by all rights, the electric vehicle should be less costly than the gas equivalent over time. And particularly in a place like BC, where you might get 5000 from the federal government and 4000 from the provincial government, then that $9,000 would make a huge difference. Of course, if you live in BC, your tax rate's higher too to fund that Credit, right? Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. So the bottom line is that... So don't I sound pessimistic today? You do, you do sound a little bit pessimistic. And, you know, I don't want anyone to think that we think, oh, no, you're still better off buying a gasoline vehicle. I think the answer is electric vehicles are probably going to get cheaper to manufacture. There's going to be more competition. You know, for a while, the Tesla was the only choice out there, which isn't really a choice. And over the next several years, there's going to, I mean, there's already, I believe, 93 vehicles available in Canada. You know, there's some combination of either hybrid, plug-in hybrid, fully electric, mild hybrid, as we talked about. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's already quite a choice, and the selection is only becoming greater and greater. And so I think we'll see more choice, lower cost vehicles, because some of the early ones are certainly in the, in the high price area. And what'll be interesting to see is what happens to things like electricity pricing, because as the demand for charging stations increases, that's going to increase electricity consumption. And we need to get that electricity from somewhere, you know, and it's not like BC where they have lots of hydro or BC and Quebec where they have lots of hydroelectricity in Alberta, for example, it's mainly natural gas. Yeah. And in the States, it's mainly coal. A lot of coal. Absolutely. Yeah, I know I've been fairly pessimistic on this episode. I think it's because, you know, you're you're fighting a cold. Fighting you know, a and cold. Maybe you're in a, you know, kind of a bad mood or something overall. I'm not in a bad mood. Okay. But <laughs> I actually don't have anything against electric vehicles at all. You know, and as a matter of fact, the future is going to have an abundance of electric vehicles. I'm just trying to, like, look at this, I don't know, pragmatically. Like, like, like you know, we talk about the cost, but... I mean, there's other costs, like there's the input cost of how much carbon is burned to create an electric vehicle, right? Like we're just looking at just a sticker cost, you know? But I mean, I guess the thing that gets me is the environmental spin sometimes, you know? Like you remember Dr. Stephen Wood? Yes. From Russell Investments? Exactly. Dr. Wood, who's since deceased and missed that guy, by the way. 
But he told a story one time of being at the Clintons' house. You know the Clintons? I do. I don't hang out with them. I don't know them personally, but yeah. Yeah. Know of them. He was at a party there, and he was sitting around with a bunch of people that owned Priuses and Teslas, and he was driving a Jeep Grand Cherokee at the time. And they said, how can you drive that gas-guzzling vehicle? And his comments to them were, like, when you bought that Prius, did you put the powered-by-coal bumper sticker on the back? (laughs) Right on. Because you know the energy has to come from somewhere, Right. It's not like the energy fairy floats around and drops little bits of energy in all the Teslas and Priuses out there. Like it's, it comes from somewhere. So I guess my point is, I just want people to think a little bit more about well, where does it come from? You know, well that that's right. And you could do you know fifty podcasts on the environmental impact of gasoline, you know, or internal combustion engine vehicles compared to electric vehicles. And when you back it up to include all of those input costs, and again, particularly electricity costs, particularly in areas like the U.S. and Certainly in developing countries, coal is a massive source of electricity or cheap electricity for developing countries, you know. So in places like India and China, they're still building coal plants. Whereas in Alberta, we've shut down our coal plants. And from the sounds of it, it won't happen anytime soon in the U.S. that they'll shut down their coal plants. But it is it is the direction of things, certainly in the developed world. It's too big to actually wrap up into a, a single discussion of is it better to drive an electric vehicle than an internal combustion engine vehicle or a gas vehicle. In, in the end, it becomes a personal choice. And as I say, I quite like the concept of driving around town using electricity. And I dislike the concept of having to going on a road trip to BC or something and having to stop and wait half an hour while you're while you're charging up your vehicle or standing in line for a charging station. So I think there's still some logistics that need to be worked out. But the good news is we're a nation of individual choice and there's choices and people can choose to approach this any way that feels best for them. For sure. I'm all about free choice. There you go. Go for it. Right on. Well, that's all I got today. Yep. We should wrap it up there. You bet. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the free lunch podcast hosted by the CM group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast, to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.